Good evening, ladies. Good evening and welcome to our first of five nights of our Summer Women in the Word Bible Study. I'm so excited. I'm Deb Haygood, part of the teaching team, and I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you so much for coming and being a part of our study, and I want to welcome those of you that are online and at South Campus. Thank you so much for being a part of our study as well. I'm so excited because I love the summer Bible study. I love it because it's so comfortable and relaxed and laid back. You can um, just come wearing whatever you want, wear your flip-flops. You don't have to do any homework questions, study questions before you get here. And you can sit wherever you want. You can sit with a friend or you can sit with somebody new and make a new friend or change it up. Do something different every week because there are no assigned tables Come and just eat some amazing snacks and relax and enjoy yourself. I also am excited because I love what we are studying this summer. It's going to be an amazing study. It's uh, something that's come up over the last few uh, months that I've been looking at. And I was reminded a few weeks ago, I was singing um, a hymn in church. It was called, I Love to Tell the Story. And you guys might remember that uh, hymn. It says, the refrain goes, I love to tell the story. T'will be my theme and glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. You know, we've said before that we all love stories. We love to hear other people's stories. We love to tell our stories. And I think it's so cool and so gracious that God shares his story with us, his story of love and salvation for each one of us. That's what the Bible is. That's what the word of God is. It's his story of love for each one of us. And some of those best stories in his word are the stories of Jesus in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so this summer, we're going to study stories of Jesus, but we're going to look at it in a little bit different way, a little different perspective. We're going to look at some homes that Jesus visited when he walked on the earth. We're going to see what happens when he visits these literal homes. Now, some of you may say, hey, I thought our home was, uh, our heart was the home for Jesus, and that is true. But we're going to see literal homes that Jesus visits and what happens there. And I think it's going to be pretty exciting for us because as women, homes, that kind of resonates with us. We all have homes. We um, all look different. I have a little red brick home. You may have a two-story home. Some of you may live in a mobile home or a town home or an apartment. Um, or like my brother, a few summers when I was in college, he lived on a houseboat. So all kinds of different homes. Um, but we all kind of want the same things in our homes. Now, our homes look different today than those homes that Jesus is going to visit. We know that those looked quite different, but they too had certain things they wanted in their homes. Things like a safe place, security, a place where our loved ones can come and share their sorrows, cry and be comforted. We want our homes to be filled with laughter. We want it to be a place of rest and healing, and refuge. We all kind of want the same things throughout the ages in our homes. And we're going to see some pretty interesting things that Jesus brings to these homes when he visits them. Each week, we're going to see Jesus bringing something different to the homes. We're also going to study the responses that the people have to Jesus when he comes to visit them. 
So it's some pretty cool stuff. I'm pretty excited about it. And we, of course, we're going to see how this is relevant to our homes today. What is the correlation between these homes in the Bible and our homes today? It's that question we always ask when we study the Word. How does this study apply to me? How is this study relevant to you? So we're going to talk about that as well. Now, our theme verse for this study comes from, interestingly enough, Revelation 3.20, and it's on your verse sheet. You guys will want to get out your outline and your verse sheet there. Revelation 3.20 says this. This is Jesus speaking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So you all might remember that chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, those were messages Jesus sent through the disciple John to seven real churches in Asia Minor. Now Jesus had um, been dead and resurrected for a couple of decades, so he tells John this through a vision. But these are Jesus' words, and they're written to Christians, to believers, those people that believe in Jesus. And so I think that his words apply to us today as believers as well. And Jesus is talking here in this verse about wanting an intimate relationship with us, a close, meaningful, delightful relationship, fellowship with us. He's not talking about salvation here. He's talking about that intimate relationship after salvation. With his words in this verse, we can picture Jesus standing outside our front door. I can picture him knocking on my blue front door. And if I invite him in, he says he will come in and eat with me. Now, people who come and eat in my home, of course, Scott, my husband, he eats there frequently. Um, But there's others, my grandchildren, my family, friends, uh, relatives, neighbors, anybody that I want to get to know comes in, eats in my home, because that's how we build relationships. That's how we have fellowship, and we get those intimate, close relationships. And that's what Jesus wants with each one of us. He wants to share God's grace with us. As we study this summer, we're going to see what Jesus can bring to our homes. Five different things we're going to see in the five different weeks. There's one thing that each of these homes that we're going to study have in common, and it makes sense. It's faith. Someone in the home has faith. Someone in the home believes in Jesus. They believe he is who he says he is. That's what faith is, believing Jesus. So I want you to be looking for that person with faith each week in the home that we visit. And two, look for what Jesus brings to the home, something different each week. And then third, I want you to look at the response that the people in the home have to Jesus. So that's the introduction to this study, Heart of the Home. Come as many weeks as you can. I hope you can come to all five. Um, You will be encouraged. And I think we're all going to be inspired to welcome Jesus in as the heart of our home. Some amazing, great, exciting things we're going to see this summer. So let's get started with tonight's home, and that is the home of Elizabeth that Jesus visits. So let's turn to Luke 1. You will need your Bible every week. And uh, we're going to start with verse 5 because we want to find out who is Elizabeth. Who is Elizabeth? So read as I, uh, along with me as I read in verse 5. 
In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statues of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So Elizabeth is married to a man named Zechariah, and he is a priest. Now, the priesthood was established by God um, centuries before this, way back in Exodus, when the Israelites were wandering around in the wilderness, and God told Moses to build a tabernacle, a dwelling, a home for God, so that he could dwell among his people. Now, this um, tabernacle was a movable tent, but it was very elaborate. It had beautiful tapestries on the inside, and it had gold furnishings and gold vessels that were used in worshiping God. And one of those furnishings was the altar of incense. This is where the priest would go in every day and burn special incense to the Lord. Now, the first uh, priest was Aaron. He's Moses's brother. They are both from the tribe of Levi, and God chose Aaron to be the first high priest. And so all the priests down through the centuries were to come from the tribe of Levi and the line of Aaron. Um, as the priests continued throughout the years to carry out these rituals and worship of God. And so these verses tell us that Zechariah was righteous and he walked with God blamelessly. He wasn't just a priest because of his birth, because he was from the tribe of Levi and the line of Aaron. He also had a heart for God, a relationship with God. He walked with God. And Elizabeth, his wife, she was quite a remarkable woman. Elizabeth also was from the tribe of Levi and from the line of Aaron. And Aaron's wife was named Elizabeth. This was probably her namesake. Elizabeth walked with God in righteousness. And that means in the right way. Elizabeth was right with God. And blamelessly, that doesn't mean she never did anything wrong. It means that she had a heart that wanted to honor God. She didn't just live out the letter of the law. She served God in the spirit of the law. Not keeping rules for rules' sake, she obeyed God because she loved him and she wanted to honor him with her obedience. Elizabeth was the perfect wife for Zechariah. But she wasn't just tagging along behind Zechariah. She had her own spiritual faith life, an independent and personal relationship with God. She's an inspiring role model for us today. I, I'm crazy, as you can tell, I'm crazy about Elizabeth. But there was one aspect of her life that was painful. She had no children. Now, in Elizabeth's um, day, having no children, um, people saw this as divine disfavor. So not only did she have the pain and the difficulty of not having children, but she also had to endure the reproach, the shame of those around her. Now, that wasn't true. It wasn't God's divine um, disfavor, but that's how they saw it. If you didn't get pregnant, then somehow you had displeased God. But what I love about Elizabeth, we don't see any bitterness in Elizabeth. She continues to walk with God blamelessly, not with bitterness. 
Now, these verses tell us that Elizabeth and Zechariah were older now, and it seems that she is past the age of childbearing. So you wonder, is she still asking God for a child? Did she hold out hope? She would have known the Old Testament. She would have known the story of Sarah and how she got pregnant with Isaac at the age of 90. Was she holding out hope? Or had she accepted this was God's will for her life? I don't know. Interesting thought that I pondered this week. But starting in verse 8, and I'm just going to summarize this, here we see that Zechariah has been chosen by Lot to burn incense in the temple in Jerusalem. That movable tent was uh, replaced by a permanent temple that was in the time of King Solomon. And so in that temple was the same furnishings and the altar of incense. And it was now Zechariah's turn to go in. This was a great honor because you would only get to do this once in your lifetime. So Zechariah goes in to burn the incense, and while he is in there, an angel of the Lord appears before him, and his name is Gabriel. He's the messenger angel, and he tells Zechariah most wonderful news. He says, Elizabeth will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and you will name him John. Wow. That's some pretty good news, Zechariah. And then he goes on to tell him in verse 14 some more things about this son, John. Look at that. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. And here it is, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. To prepare the people for the coming Messiah. This is some really pretty uh, exciting stuff. This baby was not going to be special just to Zechariah and Elizabeth alone, but it says here he's going to bring joy, gladness, rejoicing to many he also is going to um, be great before the Lord. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's going to have a special task given to him by God. And that task, turning the heart of Israel back to God. John will prepare the people for the coming Lord, the Messiah. Now, Zechariah has a little difficulty believing this, and he says to Gabriel, you know, how can I know that this is going to happen? And so Gabriel says, well, here's how. You're not going to talk anymore until John is born. <laughs> Pretty good sign, Zechariah, um, that this is going to happen. You know, but what I love, um, when Elizabeth hears this fabulous, wonderful news, um, she doesn't seem to have any trouble believing God because we read in verse 24, look down at that. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Now, I don't know how Elizabeth heard the news. I don't know if she could read and Zechariah wrote it all out for her or maybe wrote it to someone else and they told Elizabeth or he acted it out in Panama. I don't know. But what I do know is when Elizabeth hears this, she praises God that he has shown her favor, that she is going to have a son. She believes that God is going to do this for her. And then it says for five months she is secluded. I wonder what she's doing in those five months in her home. You know, maybe she had morning sickness. 
That's a joke, but <laughs> I can see nobody's laughing because uh, it's not really funny when you have morning sickness. But really, seriously, I think she was savoring this great happiness. And some of you may have done that. When you got pregnant, maybe you um, kept it to yourself for a while and you just savored it. You and your husband savored that happiness of having a child coming up. I think she was savoring this great happiness and praising God for this son and thanking God for his favor upon her, for taking away her shame and reproach. I think she was talking to God about her son that he was going to be special, great before the Lord. He had a special task. He was going to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. And maybe she was saying to God, are you sending the Messiah? The Messiah is coming too? I mean, not only is she going to have a son, but the Messiah is coming. It's what every devout Jew was looking for. You know, Elizabeth's joy must have been overwhelming at this news. Her son, John, and that means gracious, God is gracious, had a great God-given task for John. In fact, Jesus says this about John the Baptist on your verse sheet. This is John the Baptist, by the way. He's the one that's going to be preaching repentance in the wilderness when Jesus starts his ministry. He's the one that's going to baptize Jesus. And so Jesus says this in Matthew 11. He says, this is he of whom it is written. And now he quotes Malachi 3.11. The Old Testament, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. And then Jesus says, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. No one greater. But Elizabeth wasn't out and about in the town bragging, I'm going to have a son and he's going to be great before the Lord. No, Elizabeth is humbly walking with God talking to God, thanking and praising God in her home. So let's go on and see what happens next. We're going to read about Mary and her incredible news. Look at verse 26. In the sixth month, and that uh, means Elizabeth has been pregnant six months. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? So six months after Elizabeth becomes pregnant, Gabriel, the messenger angel, he now visits Mary with some incredible, kind of unbelievable news And Mary is a bit taken aback, to put it mildly. You know, how would you feel if an angel of the Lord stood before you and began to tell you things? And it's interesting, he says the very same thing to her that he said to Zechariah. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Mary. And then he goes on to say that she has found favor with God. And then drumroll, here's the incredible news. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You're going to be pregnant, Mary, with a son. Name him Jesus. 
And then Gabriel goes on to tell her some things about Jesus, just like he told Zachariah some things about John. First, he says, he will be great. Second, he will be called the Son of the Most High. That's the Son of God. And then third, he's going to be given the throne of David, reigning forever. Now, we talked about that last semester when we were studying 1 Samuel. We talked about David coming onto the throne. He was from the tribe of Judah, that Jesus would come one day from the tribe of Judah and the line of David, and Jesus is going to reign on that throne. This is a reference to the um, millennial kingdom, that thousand-year reign. And then four says his kingdom will have no end. His kingdom will go right on into glory and eternity. There will be no end. And so Mary knows when she hears these things that Gabriel is talking about the Messiah because these are Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. She would know that he's talking about that awaited Savior for Israel. Now we know today that he's also the Savior for the whole world, for anyone who believes in him. And as Mary listens, she has one question. How will this happen? How will this happen? Um, Unlike Elizabeth, who had a husband, Mary is a virgin. She's pledged to marry Joseph, but they're not married yet. They're not living together yet. They haven't been intimate yet. And so she's thinking, how will this happen? Now, I want to say here that Mary's not doubting. She's just wanting some details. It's not like Zachariah's doubt, and we know (laughs) that... I like details too, especially that would be interesting. Um, But Mary's not doubting, and we know this because the way that Gabriel answers her, it's totally different from the way that he answers Zechariah. He says to her, look at verse 35, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So the angel Gabriel explains to her that the Holy Spirit The power of the Most High would come upon her, and she would become pregnant. So Jesus will be the Son of God and the Son of Mary. And then Gabriel gives Mary this most encouraging news. He says, God can do the impossible, Mary. He can do an impossible work. For instance, your cousin Elizabeth, in her old age, doesn't that sound horrible? In her old age, is pregnant. What great encouragement that would be for Mary. Mary, God does impossible work. And what's Mary's answer to the angel? She says, let it be. Let it be just as you have said. You may, uh, Mary may not understand completely, but she is willing to do God's will completely. And pretty quickly after this, Mary decides to share this news with Elizabeth, her cousin, Now we know, let me just put this in here because some of you are thinking out there, we know that Mary is from the tribe of Judah, David's tribe, because Jesus is from the tribe of Judah, David's line. So Elizabeth must be related to Mary's mother's side of the family. Mary's 
father is from the tribe of Judah, and she's related to Elizabeth through her mother's side because we know Elizabeth's from the tribe of Levi. So you thinkers out there, hope that clears that up for you. So let's look at verse 39. It says, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. Now, she might have quickly got her stuff together and gone in haste, but it was not a quick trip. I have a map we can put up there. You also have a map on your table. And on the map, you see that Nazareth is up north in Galilee. And Elizabeth lives down south in the hill country of Judah, just right outside Jerusalem where the temple was. So right outside. So we have a star there at Jerusalem. Right outside of there is where Elizabeth lived. And so it would have taken maybe three to four days to journey from Nazareth to Elizabeth's home. It was maybe, I read about... uh, 50 to 70 miles apart, depending on the way she took this journey. So it wasn't quick, but it looks like she pretty quickly gets things together to make this journey. Now, I want to say keep that map in your folder and bring it back with you every week because we have some other towns on there that you're going to look at as we study these other homes. So Mary um, doesn't hesitate. She goes to Elizabeth's home. And now... The stage is set for the heart of our story. Mary, pregnant with Jesus, visits Elizabeth's home. So let's look at verse 40. So Mary has gone to the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. So when Mary greets Elizabeth, some, um, who's six months pregnant, some pretty amazing things begin to happen. First of all, the baby inside Elizabeth, John the Baptist, he leaps with joy. Now, we know that John is filled with the Holy Spirit because we just read that. He would be filled uh, with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And I think that he's maybe testifying right here to the one that he would serve, to the Messiah, the Lord. As he hears Mary's voice, he knows that she is pregnant, carrying the Messiah. And then the second thing that happens... Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, and she is now given understanding that Mary is pregnant with the Savior, with the Messiah. She praises God with a loud voice, and she encourages Mary with these words, blessed are you among women, blessed is the fruit of your womb. You know, this would have been very encouraging news for Mary, because Mary, I think, is probably a little scared, Um, and also she has probably suffered a little bit of shame or embarrassment because she is not married yet and she's pregnant. I don't know if you guys noticed, but I think it's interesting that Elizabeth's pregnancy takes away her shame and humiliation, but Mary's pregnancy brings her that shame and humiliation. And so what encouraging words from Elizabeth to say, blessed are you, Mary, blessed are you. Now, blessed can mean several different things. Here it means specially privileged because of God's favor. Specially privileged because of God's favor. Mary is most blessed of all women because her son would be the most blessed of all people. 
I have a couple pictures that I want to put up of Mary and Elizabeth. This first one is a little bit older. It's probably, you know, a couple hundred years old. I think it's interesting the way he's got Elizabeth's house looking. I'm not sure if that's what it was like. But anyway, I wanted to put that up because I read that throughout history, people have painted or drawn pictures of the story of Mary and Elizabeth. In fact, they found drawings in the catacombs um, in the early days of the Christians with this story of Mary and Elizabeth. And then I have a second picture, which I love, love, love. Um, I just love it because Elizabeth's so happy. She's looking up, praising God. And Mary humbly is looking down with a big smile on her face. I love this. And then in verse 43, we read this. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Leaped for joy. Elizabeth shows, I think, great humility here when she says, why should I be so privileged that the mother of the Messiah should come visit me? You know, you don't see Elizabeth jealous or envious or like, oh, here you are, one-upping me. No, none of that. She's, she's just feeling blessed that the mother of her Savior would come to visit her. And then she t encourages Mary some more by saying, you are carrying the unborn Messiah, and I know this because the baby inside me leaped for joy. Now, some of you may have been pregnant with a very active, tumbling around baby, and so you know how Elizabeth would have felt. Reminds me of my daughter, Rachel, when she was pregnant with Hallie, my granddaughter. Hallie was one of those tumbling around the whole pregnancy. In fact, uh, when Rachel went in a couple weeks before she was to deliver, the doctor says, oh my, Hallie has gotten herself bottom first in the birth canal. We call that breach, um, but not feet first. Her feet were up by her face and her bottom was in the birth canal, which is the exact opposite of how you want to be. And so the doctor said, we're going to have to do a C-section. And so I began praying that Hallie, I don't know how it would happen because it was, you know, just a few weeks before delivery. She was pretty much wedged in there. But I began praying that Hallie would turn around. And so Rachel, um, the day before she was to have her C-section, had an appointment with the doctor. She went in and she called me beforehand and she says, boy, Hallie was doing cartwheels last night. And sure enough, when she got in there, the doctor said, I don't know how she did it, but she is head down. So let's break your water and deliver this baby. And so they did. She didn't have to have a C-section. I think after John's cartwheel, Elizabeth also notices one more thing about Mary. Look at verse 43. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Blessed is she who believed. Elizabeth notices that Mary is joyful. She's happy because she believes what God had said to her. She believes that she will give birth to the Messiah. And so here's faith. We see Mary's faith. She believes God. And we also see Elizabeth's faith. She too believes God that he is bringing forth the promised Messiah through her relative Mary. So we see faith. What does the unborn Jesus bring to Elizabeth's home? Joy, joy. John leaped with joy inside Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is filled with joy as she lifts up these words of praise. Joy. What is joy? 
How do you define joy? I think it's kind of hard to define. I began to study joy um, when I was doing this lesson, and I looked, I have a big concordance that has all the verses that have joy in it, and it was over 150. But it, I read many of them, and it was pretty exciting. In fact, I just want to say, just as an aside, you might want to go home tonight and turn in the back of your Bible and look up joy in your concordance, and you're going to find some verses there. And take one each day and read them, because it just brings you joy to read about these verses of joy. Now, um, there won't be 150, that's the good thing. There'll be maybe six or 10 at the back of your Bible. So do that tonight. Um, some pretty incredible verses, Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Think about what that means. Or maybe Psalm 30, verse five, where it says, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Some pretty cool verses about joy. One author I wrote said, joy is one of the most delightful of human experiences emotions to experience. It's a delightful emotion to experience. Another one said, true joy centers in God, and our joy today is made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus. The joy made possible by Jesus is a joy that lodges deep within the human heart. And what is their response to the joy that Jesus brings? Praise. First, we see Elizabeth excitedly praising God for the Messiah. And next, look at verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. This is the beginning of Mary's praise song, and it's called the Magnificat, from the word magnify. And it has a lot of Old Testament uh, quotes in it, and it also is very similar to Hannah's song of praise that we studied last semester in 1 Samuel when she praised God after she became pregnant with Samuel. So do you see how Mary's psalm begins, how her song begins? She says her soul is rejoicing in the Lord, and then she praises him. Joy leads her to praise. Joy leads her to praise. And I want to read the rest of this just because it's so cool. I want you to look at the attributes of God, the actions of God that Mary lifts up. 46 says, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Mary is calling herself a servant there. We see the humility of Mary. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, for he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. So did you see some of the attributes there? It says that he was mindful of humble Mary, Mary, his servant. He's also mighty. He's done great things. He's holy. He's merciful. He's scattered the proud, but he lifts up the humble because he is just. He's concerned. He's strong. He provides for the needy and for the oppressed, for the hungry. He's a helper and a promise keeper. Did you see that? He's kept his promises to Abraham and his descendants. And then verse 56 tell us, tells us, Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. 
so we can do the math. Uh, Elizabeth's six months pregnant when she gets there. She remains three more months, so now she's nine months pregnant. I think Mary probably stayed until John was born. And what did they do during those three months? What did they do? I don't know. Maybe Mary helped Elizabeth get the cradle ready, or maybe they sewed baby clothes or knitted baby blankets. I know that they talked about their sons, their sons, what they would grow up to do and become one day. And I also think they talked about the joy of holding that baby boy in their arms when he was born. And I bet they laughed a great deal. Let's put that picture up one more time, Rebecca, because I love that. I love that picture. We know they laughed a great deal. I love that. So this is a great story. And by the way, this great story, I just have to say, in this day and time and all the debates going on, this is a story about two unborn babies. Pretty significant, I think, there. It's a great story. But how is this story relevant or meaningful for you and for me? How is it relevant? Well, Jesus can bring joy to your home. He can bring joy to my home. Joy, that delightful human emotion. You know, we have many reasons for joy, many human reasons. We have joy in good health, joy in our work, joy with our family and friends, joy that comes from the birth of a child, and every birth is a miracle, or the joy as you celebrate a child's graduation that's in your home. And I think there's probably some of you out there that have had a child graduate just this week or last week. Also that joy when we celebrate those in our home, their accomplishments, what they have done. Joy for our homes and our church, living in a land of freedom as we sit in our homes. You know, we often call these joyful moments blessings from Jesus. Another definition of blessing, the Lord conferring favor or well-being on us. The Lord giving us favor or well-being. Jesus brings joy to our home through blessings, through blessings. On your verse sheet, I've got Isaiah 12, 5 and 6, and Isaiah tells us, Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. And then Moses tells us in Deuteronomy, And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your households, in all that you undertake, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. Jesus brings joy to our home through blessings. And Jesus also brings joy in suffering. Now, that's hard to imagine, and yet many of you in this room can tell stories from your own life how this is true, how you know this is true, how you have experienced it. Jesus is with us in those difficult, hard times, encouraging us, comforting us, and our relationship with him grows deeper and more beautiful, and we experience joy. Philippians 4, Paul tells us, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus is with us in those difficult times 
growing our relationship with him deeper and more beautiful. And we experience joy in the midst of suffering. And then Jesus also brings joy, which will never end. The joy that Jesus made possible by his death and resurrection. When we believe in him, that joy lodges deep within our heart. It's a joy not related to our circumstances, but it's a joy that's related to the eternal relationship that we have with Jesus. So our joy can never end. So let joy be the norm for our daily living as we rejoice in God's saving work with us, no matter what's going on around us. His saving work within us, not the circumstances around us. Let Jesus, as the heart of the home, bring you joy. And how do we do it? Well, a couple things I thought of. One, look for joy. Look for joy. Wake up and walk around your house and notice the blessings. Maybe it's flowers on a table that a friend gave you. Maybe it's a picture of your child or your grandchild that brings you great joy. Maybe it's just sunshine coming through your window or or maybe rain coming on your window. Look for the blessings that Jesus has given us and notice that and be filled with joy. Second, remember that Jesus has redeemed you. He has saved you. You are his, and he's with you. Talk to him. Be filled with the joy of his presence. King David knew this because he says in Psalm 16, he's lifting up this prayer to the Lord, and he says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. David knows, in your presence, Lord, there is fullness of joy. And that word fullness there means complete. When we're in the presence of Jesus, we can't even add one more drop of joy. Our joy is complete. And then praise him for who he is and what he has done for bringing you joy. I want to close with that little song that I can't get out of my head, so I'm going to say it so now you won't be able to get it out of your head. It's that song we sang growing up in Sunday school. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart. Down in my heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for bringing us joy, joy that will always stay with us. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful story of Elizabeth and Mary. Thank you, Jesus, for this visit that you made to Elizabeth's home. Lord, I pray that this week we will remember this story, that we will look around and notice the blessings that we have that bring us joy. You are so good to us, and we love you, Lord. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.